Well, what up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, on today's podcast, we are going to talk a little bit more in depth about services and the application of being able to uh, deal with service entrance conductors that are run to on the exterior of a building to other locations and not have to meet all of the groupings at one location and, and the rules of grouping and the difference between services and, and some of the, the exceptions that are under 230.40. Uh, so that's what today's episode is going to deal with because I am getting a lot of questions from people okay, and a lot of confused questions. And usually what happens is they don't understand the concept of a service and what's the concept of service equipment and collectively what a service means in some of the allowances that are afforded you in exceptions to general rules. And so I, I like to keep it a, you know, pretty basic because a lot of times you know, a, a lot of uh, apprentices listen to our podcasts and a lot of journeymen who are learning. And uh, masters who have been doing it for many, many, many years. But we, you know, old dogs can learn new tricks. I learn something new every day. I'm blessed that that I'm actually in certain circles where I can actually learn new concepts all the time. That's why I like being on code making panels, uh, simply because I'm able to sit around people and just listen to their conversations, you know. I mean, just take it in. Sometimes, even though people know me as a as a talker, I should say, uh, and I have an opinion, obviously, and a good thing about electrical industry is we're not shy about our opinions, um, but sometimes it's just beautiful to listen. And I listen to other people, and maybe I don't always agree with them, same as some people might not always agree with me, and that's fine. You don't have to agree with me, and I'm certainly not here to force you to agree. There are other people out there and other educators who will argue until they're blue in the face because you disagree, uh, but that's okay. We can agree to disagree. You believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe. If you judge me because of what I believe, then you're a fool because I'm letting you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, and that's what we do. So when you get into an informal interpretation from somebody like NFPA, all you're doing is getting the opinion of an individual who's responding back to your email. It, there's always that little disclaimer in there that says that they're not necessarily the opinions of NFPA. So, again, it's all about opinions. So, usually what happens is, is quote-unquote, code-related experts will not make snap decisions based on a personal feeling. They base it on research and, 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 and talking to other people. So, a lot of times when people ask code people questions... They want an immediate answer, whereas a code professional is usually saying, or especially a consultant that gets paid quite well, they want to take a second. They want to step back and make sure that they dissect everything that you're trying to say because we want to know uh, where you're coming from, what your application is, and usually we're going to have some follow-up questions because we want to make sure that we're dissecting it down to your question because we don't want to leave any ambiguity into the response. Uh, and, of course, people say all the time, there's gray area in the NEC. Um, I'm not debating that, but it's always revolves around interpretation. It's not really gray. It's it's interpretation. Um, there's some stuff in the code that you know 
that, that NEC that, that is black and white. I mean, just point blank. Uh, as an inspector, people would ask me if, if I put a receptacle from a door opening in a residential under 210.52, uh, a, if they would say, well, would you fail somebody if, if a receptacle was six and a half feet away from the door opening, uh, even if it's my house? And my response is, well, yeah, I'd fail you. And people would say, oh, my God, Paul, you had to be the worst inspector or supervising inspector or engineer over jurisdictions. You had to be the worst. I'm like, no. Hey, look, that is written in black and white. It says it. Black and white. So... Why would you not just install it in accordance with what's written in black and white? I mean, that's the thing, right? It, it, it's written right there. It, you, it can't get any easier for you than to follow what's actually written right there in black and white. Now, if it's um, some area of argument, then a good inspector will give you some leeway. And they'll look at your side, and they may agree and may disagree. But that's the AHJ. They make the ultimate decision. Um, they have the, the duty to interpret the code as they seem fit to protect the citizens of their community, not necessarily the wills of the electrician or whatnot who's just trying to get the job done so they can get paid. I get it. I've been there. I've been on both sides of the fence. So you'll never hear me bash the inspectors. Uh, everybody's different. All inspect Every inspector has a different level of knowledge, and that can be said the same for electricians. So... It's all good. We're all in this together. We're all trying to learn. But a great example of, of where gray area, people say, is the fact that they're not really looking at the literal interpretation of the code. And that is, for example, 230.70A1, right? So when people look at that and they go, well, that's pretty cut and dry, yet you go to jurisdictions and they allow it to be... Once it penetrates the building, these are the service conductors and the location of the service disconnection means. They'll say, well, you know, it, it readily accessible location outside or inside the nearest point of entry, they're like, well, this jurisdiction lets me go three feet, and this jurisdiction lets me go four feet, and this, this jurisdiction lets me go six feet. And I'm like, whatever your jurisdiction lets you do, roll with it. Because if it was me, my literal interpretation of 230.70A1 is this. It says readily accessible location. It says the service disconnecting means shall be installed at a readily accessible location either outside, doesn't really say where outside, of the building or structure or inside nearest the point of entry of the service conductors. And I don't really see an exception to that rule. So when that says nearest the point, if I'm inspecting it and you can put a panel literally back to back as it goes through the wall, as it penetrates through the wall, the point where it makes it into the building, literally, it means that it would be on the opposite side. That's how I read it. However, I am fully understand that sometimes that is not possible. Whether or not you're penetrating and there's something there that would violate a height, your requirements in 110.26, uh, A1, A2, or A3, or it just needs to be jogged to the left or the right. And I'm the kind of guy that says, well, if I look outside and I see that you could have swung it six inches this way or eight before you penetrated, then I'm going to say, well, I don't understand why you're worried about the inside because you could have penetrated at a different location. I mean, you had options. Now, maybe all the options are run out. Then I'm going to work with you. Most certainly, my friend. We're going to work together. But I'm just saying that is what the code says. You can argue with it. You can agree or you can disagree. Um, but we're trying to limit the amount of service entrance conductors that come into a building because the only protection that those conductors actually have is 
overload protection. Okay, because they are limited by the circuit breaker or the load if you're meeting a six disconnect allowance in there and you don't have one main, you have six individuals, uh, then okay. But we are, by virtue of that, going to limit the load. So you are protecting uh, those service conductors from limiting by limiting the load, but you're not protecting them from short circuit or ground fault. So uh, as they run into a building and they're exposed then potentially somebody could come in contact with them. Somebody will do, you know, and people will do dumb things, okay? You, you can't stop it. You know, I like to say that the NEC can't stop stupidity. It can only mitigate certain stupid acts, and, and, and I have different versions of how we do that. This is a minimum safety standard. Um, I've often referred to people on an A to F scale. If you follow the National Electrical Code, you've got a C-grade installation. It's passing. It's a C. It's great. Can I make it a B? Certainly. Can I make it an A? Certainly. Again, subjective. Subjective to what you feel an A a B is over what the minimum standard is of the National Electrical Code. So that's a choice that you have to make, but this is a minimum standard. So if I read this rule, it would be to me, once you penetrate it inside, it has to be the nearest point of entry, okay? All right, so that's kind of how I read it, And but you know what? I understand that a lot of jurisdictions will modify that. Uh, they'll add their local amendments to it, allow you two feet, three feet, and, and the reason usually is because they're giving you some leeway back and forth, okay? Um, so... If our jurisdiction didn't have any amendments like that, then I would literally expect you to think about that before you penetrated the building so that you knew it was on the other side so that you can maintain all the requirements that you need to do at the nearest point of entry, keeping those service entry conductors as short as possible. All right. So look, that's not what this episode's about, but I just felt like it's a good coverage of that because I do get a lot of questions on that. All right, But let's kind of get back to today's topic. And we're talking about... Part 1, 230.2, which is the number of services. That's the one. And we also want to kind of dabble slightly into the applications of um, Part 3. Uh, actually, not Part 3. I'm sorry. It's, uh, I don't know if it's Part 3 here. Let me look here. No, Part 4. So we want to look at Part 1. It's 230.2, but we also want to look at, because we could look at part uh, three, but I don't want to look at the underground aspects in exception number two and 230.40. I just want to deal with the ones that we deal with mostly. And so we're going to look at part one and part four. And most notably, we're going to look at 230.40 exception number one and give some explanations on that and kind of clarify some things. And then we'll talk about the services as well in 230.2. Okay, that, That's really what we want the focus of this uh, podcast to you know to really be about. All right, so first things first. Part one, general requirements, 230.2 says number of services to a building. Now, we have to understand that you've got a bunch of components that involve services. Uh, you could have the actual service that's dropping or lateral that's coming to the building, uh, and you have the collective group of service equipment that make up a service, okay? But when we talk about 230.2, we are really talking about literally the number of services that are being served to this building or this structure. That, and that's literally what we're talking about. 
to make it easier to understand. Literally, if I bring a, a service drop to the side of a building, that is one service. If I bring two service drops to this building, literally from the transformer, then that is two services to this building. We're not even talking about service equipment yet. We're just saying services to this building. If I bring one service to this building, one drop, and I'm strictly talking about overheads right now, if I bring one to this building, but up at the point of attachment, I make connections, people say, that's not a tap. It is a tap. It's not under the tap rules of 240.21, which is dealing with feeders, but it is a service tap. So if I make that connection up there, and I extend service entrance conductors, as we'll see in the allowances under 230.40 exceptions, then they're still service conductors. There's still only one service to a building. But I have service equipment at multiple locations. And at those multiple locations, as long as I don't exceed six disconnection means at that location, then I'm not violating anything. And I think that's where people want to say that, no, nope, you only have one service to a building, so you can only have six disconnects to that one service to a building. And that is simply not true. Because if it was, we would have no allowance to use the allowances in 230.40 exceptions. Okay. Now, granted, the difference is services versus the difference in service entrance conductors and the extension of those. And that's what we, we want to understand. Because the other thing that people get confused is they want to gr- they want to take this grouping requirement and they want to throw this grouping requirement into 230.2 and they want to throw this grouping requirement into 230.40 when they need to understand these are two different rules, two different applications, and we're just talking about one service to a building. Then we'll deal with the grouping aspect once we establish that. Or we're looking at the application where I still have one service to a building, but now I have multiple locations of service disconnection means in a service equipment. Still only got one service to a building, but I have these other applications. Now I apply the grouping rules. And I think that's what's going on. That they're just... And I did this years ago. God, I don't know how many years ago I contacted and got a informal interpretation from NFPA because you know it just kept going on and on and on. I was think I was doing my radio shows way back then uh, when I was you know the electrical guru stuff, and I just said you know what they're not going to listen to me, so I just sent it in. And I have a unique way of crafting my uh, requests for formal interpretations, and, and and all apologies to NFPA. I'm not trying to pigeonhole them. I just, there's a way I write it in order to be able to make sure that we don't go down this this wormhole. I, I want to stay on topic, so I ask it a certain way. Um, and it, it, be honest with you, it takes a skill. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm blessed with that skill. I learned it from an individual, uh, and I won't say that individual's name, but there's a way that you craft it in order to get the response that you're, you're that's really most targeted to what you're trying to do instead of having to have a 10 email exchange. I, I try to get to the point quickly. That's why my videos linger on, even though you say, well, that means you're long-winded. No, I'm trying to give you every bit of information so that now if I've got to ask a question, I can dissect it and I can ask specific points. So that's why I give you a lot of information because it's going to help you learn. And that's what we're trying to do here. Okay. So 
230.2 states that the building or other structure served shall be supplied by only one service. Okay? Now, if you go into your mind and you think that each one of these disconnection means in a grouping of six is a service, that's just service equipment that's associated with the overall picture of a service to a building. You have other allowances. That's where the mind starts to really go. Okay, it, we're talking about number of services to a building. So if I have one service drop to the side of the building and it comes down and it has six meters with six individual service disconnection means, um, that is still one service. It's not six services. Okay, um, Literally, I have six sets of service equipment. Okay, And then the grouping requirement comes in and all that kind of goody. But we're still talking about the number of services. So I think that a lot of times people can't disconnect the two, all right? It disconnects probably a poor word is, but you know what I mean. So let's read it. It says, a building or other structure served shall be supplied by only one service unless permitted in 230.2A through D. And of course, we've done episodes of what A through D is, obviously. That's just the other allowances for uh you know, different things like special conditions, special occupancies, uh, and all that, you know, uh, different characteristics and, and capacity requirement. You know, as, if any of those meet, then literally I can have another service to this structure. This is what it's dealing with. This is what it means. Um, it's, it's less about the number. We get into that when we get into the grouping part. And you have to piece all these parts together in Article 230. But you really need to dissect each one of them and handle them. And that's how I teach people in my classes. You know, I, Let's dissect each one. And then once we dissect the permitted use for something, then we can start looking at the other rules that apply to it. Um, so it, it allows it. It says, for the purpose of 230.40 exception number two, and that's the one where you can have a transformer and the service points at the transformer. And then you can have, uh, actually at that point, you can have six sets of underground service conductors run to six different disconnects. You're still meeting the rule. That's under the exception number two to 230.40, but it's also clearly expressed here in 230.2 to make it really clear that that's still considered one service, even though it's coming from a transformer and it looks like it's you know six different services. It's not. And so they, they wanted to clarify, okay? So it also goes on, of course, it tells you the size, one out and larger, and you know, because so it's giving you all the replications of it being a parallel situation, although it's only connected at one end, that's the supply end and not the load end. So, you know, it's not theoretically a parallel application, but you get the point. It's allowing you to do it. Okay. All right, so so that's so when you look here, and so one of the things I usually tell people, and I don't usually recommend uh, commentary books. But there are some really good pictures, and they're not all-inclusive pictures. There's just only a couple. But the NFPA handbook is a, is a good resource for commentary, remembering that it's, it is a code book, but it's not one that you can take into an exam. It's got all the code language in there in black, but then it's got the blue commentary. And, you know, it's very beneficial because that usually means that a multiple people collectively together came up with this interpretation, their interpretation. So it's really good. Now, the other thing I remind people is, look, just because NFPA is the, uh, I should say, the gatekeeper of the documents, they're not the ones that develop it. 
It's developed by people like you and me who submit public inputs and then experts that sit at the table and we look at it and we actually um, come to grips with what your public input is and it goes through a public comment stage and it goes through a nitman stage and it goes through all of these iterations in order to finally make it in print. And you have so many different individuals sitting at the table uh, representing so many different associations, groups, inspectors, uh, listing groups, and manufacturers, and there's a bunch of, there's a mix. And NFPA does a good job making sure that there's an equal mix. It's not all manufacturers. It's not all associations. It's not all organizations, right? It's a good collective mix. And uh, so they're the ones that, you know, put that together to put it in the handbook. So when I say that, the 2017 handbook, uh, it's got a couple um, I can't say one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe ten, eleven, twelve graphics that try to depict um, some of the examples here that we're going to talk about. Um, it's obviously not all the examples that are probably available out there, or how, depending on how you interpret it. But you know, it is some some applications here for you to be you know to be aware of. So the graphics are really good. They, you know, that's why I like to do graphics. Is because you know sometimes a, a picture is worth a thousand words. For me, probably two thousand words. But um, you do have these these allowances to do this. Okay. So just kind of now I'm not gonna cover all of them here. But one of the exhibits is two thirty point three is one service dropper one set of overhead service conductors to supply two service equipment enclosures installed. Uh, at separate locations. Uh, again, this is uh, one service drop, one overhead set of conductors, okay, and it's one building, so there's no firewall, okay, which would constitute two buildings. Uh, this is one drop. It branches off at the service point, and uh, and then it goes in at the point of attachment, and then continues on with service conductors uh, outside, and it's it's meeting the allowance. In 230.40 exception number one, even though there's two distinct separate locations of six disconnects. And you'll notice that it doesn't mention anything in here about that application other than the fact that it says, look, it's one service and it is meeting exception number one. So when you look at it, people will get confused at it. But that is one occupancy. So if this was a, again, I use this example. If this is a 12-unit multifamily building and the panels are situated in these buildings uh, in a way that wherever they're located, they meet the compliance rules of 230.70A1, wherever that would be, maybe in an exterior wall or of their unit or whatever it is. Um, and, and, you know, you got to design it. you got to know all these things. So at that point, if you made the connection up and you had weatherheads and you continued on to each individual occupancy, and then once you got that at occupancy, you penetrated through and you hit the service disconnection means, now you're there. You've met the rule. It's still one service to a building. You've utilized the allowances for the service conductors under 230.40 exception number one. You've utilized that. Now, at each one of these locations, then... You can start looking at the rules that have to do with grouping, okay, and the number of service disconnects and and all of those type of things. That's when you start looking at it, okay. And once we start looking at the number, and again, the number is not to exceed six at any given location, 
uh, unless you have a main breaker, and then of course that is your one. You know, can have up to six at any of those given locations. But there are misconceptions here that people think that well, all of those have to be grouped. No, that is not what it says. So you still have one service to a building. That is separate issue. Separate. Keep it alone. Keep it back there in part one. Don't let it venture out of part one. Leave it there. Once I establish I have one service to a building, then I can go over into dealing with whether or not the exception for how I'm going to run these service conductors, okay, these service entrance conductors. Then I can let that rule get in. Now, I meet that rule, okay. Um, now, and only then, can I move into dealing with the requirements that are found in part four, and that is the service equipment disconnection means. Okay, so then, so that's the important thing that I try to stress. When you let your mind try to wrap itself around multiple parts in one session, it can get confusing. When you stop and you break down the aspects of it, it's kind of like saying, you know, chapters one through four apply generally through the code, but five, six, and seven can modify chapters one through seven. Um, and incidentally, that's a change for the 2017 code because it used to say chapter, uh, 5, 6, and 7 can modify, cha- modify chapters 1 through 4. But that didn't make sense because we might have things that get modified in chapter 7 that modifies it in chapter 6. And really, you couldn't do it based on how it was written, um, although probably people did it. Now it's you know it's kind of easier to understand. Um, so the code is constantly getting better. But remember, it's a minimum safety standard. As I've said many times to people, in an A through F type of installation, if you install it in accordance with the National Electrical Code, it's a C-grade installation. It's passing. It's work. It'll work. It's a minimum safety standard. However, could you do it to an A level or a B level and go above the standard? Most certainly. You just can't go below the standard. Okay. So that's a, a lot of people get confused about that. They say, well, I would do this or I would do that. And you know what? Bless your heart. I get it. But the question always has to be, and I get this on posts all the time. Uh, you'll post something to illustrate something, and somebody will go, well, I wouldn't do it that way. This is how I, well, Oh, good for you. Good for you. That is how you would do it. But it's not how the person did it in this picture. And you have to respect the fact that everybody can do it their own way as long as it complies with the National Electrical Code. That's a minimum safety standard. Now, you can judge people. You can say whatever you want. I do not do that. And that's what you'll notice about when I comment on graphics. I don't don't comment about things that I can't really see. I don't comment on things that I speculate. Uh, Every now and then, I throw a little something out because I got to, you know, it kind of tips that scale. 51% of me says, hmm, that doesn't look right. But the majority of the time, I get probably hundreds and hundreds of questions I get thousands a month from people that I try to answer them, whether it's on LinkedIn, Messenger, uh, from the website, Twitter, uh, Facebook, wherever it is. And I try to put it, work them into my time because I really want to help people. I don't know it all. I learn something new every day. And you'd be surprised. I'm learning something from you when I watch your posts. And um, I'm one of those big believers that everybody has about 80% of their knowledge bank learned in their life. And that extra 20 is an elusive moving target. And I like to listen to people and learn from them because they might give me some tidbit that can help bolster that 20% that I don't know. And, you know, and, and it's, a, it's an evolution of learning. And that's why I love this industry. That's why at nearly 50 years old, I am still as hyper and as passionate and is if you attend one of my seminars, you will literally 
want to know why I'm running around the room explaining code because one, I don't want you to fall asleep because code can get boring. And two, my seminars are a little different. I am energetic. I interact. I say jokes. I commentate with you. I, I, I love interaction. And that's what you want in an educator. But again, I'm not going to bash any other educator because some, their nature is to simply sit there and talk code and read out of a book. And that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just a little different like that. So I can't help it. It's just how I'm wired. So at the end of the day, this podcast was really to try to, to explain that you need to segmentize your understanding of the code. Okay? You need to look at it and go, all right. Now, does part one say something? And if I meet that, now I can move on to part four and do that application because it applies to this installation. Now, I also have to look at, and you know, that, you know, then, then I look and say, well, I got to deal with part five. And then I meet that application. It's a beautiful dance when you put it all together. And what you don't realize is you do it every time you look at the code. Because anytime you're dealing with something in PV, for example, you're also, you know, you're, you're in 690, but you're also looking at stuff that's required in chapters one through four. So you're, you're having to work in and out of all these different articles and different sections and different parts. You're doing it anyway. So all I'm trying to say is, when you're dealing with services, let's not get lost into the weeds and let's, let's understand that we can dissect this thing to understand the difference. I'll give you a great example. Here's one that's brought up to me probably at least once a month. Paul, I have a duplex. Gotcha. The duplex is an over and under. I get it. So there's no firewall. It's one building. Right. Okay. What's your problem? I got one service drop coming to the building. Gotcha. Comes to a weatherhead. Okay. So it's overhead. Okay, gotcha. It goes down to a common meter set, which is two meters, uh, two stack. I got you. It's very common, right? Usually right in the middle of the building, somewhere around there. I get you. What's the problem? Well, one of the units goes straight into the back of the uh, the unit that's on the lower one. Okay, and then it comes out the other meter and goes into the building, out of the back of it, through the lower unit to the upper unit. Okay, and I said, okay, that's a violation. What's the violation? Well, that's a violation of 230.70A1, first of all. Okay? Right. Okay. Then he goes, okay, well, what else? Well, those are service conductors still, right? And they're not running on the outside of the building. They're running in the building. So they're not meeting any allowances to any exceptions anywhere. So those services would have to be grouped. Okay. All right? Okay. So then they go, well, okay. So what the guy did now, Paul, is that he installed a disconnect underneath the one for the upper unit. And I say, okay. But he left the service disconnection means in the lower unit coming straight out of the meter stack. I said, okay, I'm with you. And then they go, well, then he put the disconnect service disconnect outside so that now he can run service conductor, I mean, feeders into the building, all right, and not be in violation of 230.70A1, Okay. Because he has this readily accessible disconnection means and, and, and he meets all that. And he is good. So we don't have unprotected conductors running through the, the, the lower unit. And, and incidentally, yes, you can have feeders running through the walls of one unit to get to another unit. That's another misconception. All right, so what problem do we have here? Well, we distinctively have an issue when it comes to grouping. All right. It's the two to six disconnection means as permitted in 230.71 shall be grouped. Each disconnect shall be marked as indicated to, as the load served. And, and we got all those requirements. So that is still one service. 
That is, yes, two separate occupancies, but they didn't meet the allowances of 230.40 exception one because those are not service conductors that are running to the unit, and you didn't meet the requirements of 230.70A1 for that application. So you got both of those things going against you. So they thought by adding the disconnect outside that they're meeting 230.70A1, but then they're not meeting the requirements for the grouping because that is still one service coming to a building, but I have the two to six disconnection means for this building are not grouped in the same location. Okay, I get it, they're two separate occupancies. And they wanted to utilize the rules in 230.40, exception number one. But it's you really can't do that, right? There's no way that you can meet that rule because as a building with more than one occupancy shall be permitted to have one set of service entrance conductors for each service, as defined in 230.2, there's only one there, run to each occupancy or group of occupancy if the number of service disconnection locations for any given classification of service does not exceed six. Okay? That's wherever it runs. It can't exceed six. All right? But you can't use this rule because this rule in part four is dealing with service entrance conductors. And what we have now is feeders that are running to the upstairs unit. So you see how they intertwine and, and how you have to work these things out and understand how you apply the different code rules. Okay, okay. so if I want to use the exception, now how would I fix that? Most of you know how I'd fix that, right? So instead of the disconnect going out of the back of the unit, okay, going into the lower unit, maybe I drop down and hit another disconnect side by, beside the other one, service disconnection means at that point. And remove, you know, move all my grounding electroconductors, you know, all my everything to that outside service disconnection means, and then turn that interior panel into a remote distribution panel. At that point, I run four conductors in there. I separate the grounded and the grounding, and do everything I'm supposed to do. Um, and the main bonding jumper takes place out at the service disconnection means. Everything's good, hunky gory, gory, hunky dory. There you go. And then they put the two disconnects are grouped. Okay, so that is all compliant. But that's meeting the grouping rule as it pertains to that installation. It's still only one service to a building. At no point did I go dabble in 230.2. That was established. That was done. Okay, We're using the different parts individually as necessary in order to make this installation compliant. So that's one way to do it. The other way to do it would be if it was possible, if that second floor panel was on an exterior wall on the outside, I mean not on the outside, but actually in an exterior wall, accessible from the interior, then I could continue out of that meter and run service entrance conductors uh, outside and up to that unit and then penetrate right into the back of that unit. I meet the requirements of 230.70A1, but I also meet the exception for those service entrance conductors under 230.40 exception number one. And uh, that's a perfectly fine installation. Okay, I've got no more than six disconnection means at each location. Okay, service disconnection means. Okay, so I've met that requirement. Um, so uh, no harm, no foul, uh, and it's a it's you know safe installation. Okay. So it does remind us at that point. It says if the number of service disconnect locations for any given classification of service uh, does not exceed six, the requirements of two thirty point two e shall apply to each location, and that's your identification requirements. 
Okay, so 230.2e for those that maybe aren't familiar with it, it says where a building structure is supplied by more than one service or any combination of brand circuits, feeders, or services. It's just telling us that a permanent plaque or directory shall be installed at each service disconnection location, denoting all others. Okay, so it's letting you know, hey, there's another one in this building. That's a safety thing for the first responders. Okay, so it's only making reference back to it. Okay, all right. Well, that's our podcast for today, my friends. Um, or to do a Lionel Richie impression, that's my what? Not what? Was I doing? That's my impression, my friend. My friend. I don't know. I can't do impressions. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. God bless. Hope you got something out of it. Uh, and you, you know, kind of now in your mind, you can dissect the difference between services to a building, multiple drops to a building, constituting multiple services to a building. We didn't go into, obviously, all of the exceptions. I went over the most common one, which is generally an overhead. But there are other ones here. And if you want to learn more about the other exceptions then just give us a holler. You can email us at info at masterthenec.com or info at electricalcodeacademy.com. I prefer to use that one. Um, or you can go to our Facebook page or you can go to our Twitter feed at masterthenec. Uh, or you can go, all those social media you can get to from our website, by the way. Um, or you can actually go to our message board and post your question at will. If you have it, we have a message board. It's listed on our website as forum. And you just click on that and you get an account and you can post on our message board. Ask your questions, my friend. We're here to try to teach you. Uh, and I like to learn in the process. So if you've got something that you can teach me during the conversation, hey, I am I am open to learn, baby. Because what you teach me, you can be rest assured that I'm going to use it to teach others. Because that's what we're all here. We're all in the same boat together. We all go around this world once. If you can make your job easier where it's a no-brainer and you can learn this stuff better, it makes your job go easier. It makes you look more skilled. It makes you more... Um, I, uh, uh, um, an asset to your firm. Uh, all those things are good stuff, my friends. So, hey, it's all about the learning. God bless. Stay safe. Till next time. Be peace.